0: Here. Captain! captain. Oh. Signature's detected! Shields up! <laughs>
1: Signature's
0: detected! Red alert. Context Starfleet Command. What's happening? C- context Starfleet Command.
1: Relay that order. Context Starfleet Command. Is this is the captain! C- context Starfleet Command. Get out of my chair! 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam
0: Pranica. I feel compelled to, like, start with a flashback to the first episode of The Greatest Generation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I can't even
0: remember it. It was so long ago. <laughs> the, the special unaired episodes that we, we recorded as, as a test.
1: Did we ever do that? My memory is that we put out the first episode we ever recorded together. We did.
0: That was a terrible idea. Yeah, we but should not we have did. done that. <laughs> I really feel bad for all of the people that Greatest Gen was recommended to, mm-hmm. if they started at the beginning and thought that's what we were. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. We got yeah. a whole lot better, I think. Um, you know, debatable. <laughs> Some might say we got worse. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that's a fairly recent opinion.
1: It's been a hell of a run though. Um the idea of a flashback is very interesting to me because like I was uh, I had this something kind of hit me uh this week. We're we're recording this the Friday before this episode comes out. So uh all, all week long people have been tweeting at us like, "Oh, you guys have got to watch The TOS episodes that are referenced by this upcoming episode of Disco, like, you're not going to understand it, you're not going to get it, and uh, all week I've been just ignoring those tweets and and, uh, Reddit messages and whatnot, Uh, just smug that, you know, like, I know how to review Star Trek, and I don't need to go back and get information to make everything make sense to me like if if the writers and and showrunners of discovery are going to put out an episode that i can't understand if i haven't seen a 60 year old tv show that's on them not on me and then i realized that we kind of ask the same thing of anybody that listens to any of our shows <laughs> like if you haven't listened to all 290 episodes of greatest gen and greatest discovery there's a good chance that one of our dumb inside jokes will we'll miss you. <laughs>
0: well, I mean I you're on your own if you choose to listen to our show.
1: <laughs> you're not though, 'cause we have like the we have we have a Wikia. There's the Wikia greatest gen page, and uh that's just it's like memory alpha but for Ben and Adam. I completely
0: agreed and agree with you about that point. I think it would have been a terrible misstep for the show to depend on a viewer's uh viewing history to understand. Like and not only that, but a as you said, sixty year old viewing history <laughs> to understand what's happening here.
1: Yeah. It's is it seventy year how old how long ago? <laughs> was that show i mean it's like
0: uh it's like the way uh war veterans have have been dying off over the years like you rarely find someone who's seen the original series star trek uh
1: still alive it's that old (laughs) and the people that are still alive like really just decrepit beyond belief at this point
0: yeah Eating very early breakfast at diners. <laughs> ben, I kind of want to get started. We're we're doing all this flashback talk. I yeah, think, let's, uh, get, let's just get into it. Yeah, let's get into Star Trek Discovery, S- season two, episode eight. If memory serves. Brandon Bird, friend of the show, tweeted about this show open in a really fun way.
1: Yeah, art, uh, fine artist Brandon Bird who painted the tour poster for Greatest Gen Con.
0: He asked if this was a
1: bit. <laughs> and I love that idea. It is, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's kind of a bit. I mean, I think it was very a very fun idea, and I thought it was well, well done. Um, nice to see... Nice to see them, you know, have a little levity about the idea that that show and this show share any DNA. But also, um, I don't think it's necessary. Like, I don't think that you need the the little roll-in previously on Star Trek with the original series footage to get this episode.
0: I mean, I agree with you up to the point of vena's uh repeated appearances in the app, like to fully understand her pathos i think this pre-roll is pretty useful also does jeffrey hunter get royalties from that oh or the the estate of jeffrey hunter i should say i don't know is that
1: who who uh that's who played og pike oh i wouldn't be surprised that might be something that expires upon your death though it's Strange
0: how like we both knew what OG Pike looked like, but until you cross cut between Jeffrey Hunter and the Pike we have today, like I really understand the casting a lot better. Like there is a definite resemblance that I that I didn't really get I didn't really grasp that before the direct cross cut.
1: Yeah. Uh, I feel very fortunate that they chose not to Benjamin button him to look a little yeah. bit more like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was that was a good choice by them, and probably also much cheaper. Yeah, um, he's a little he's a little uh, grayer in in Disco, but I guess that's appropriate, right? Right.
0: Yeah. The point of this pre roll is that shit has gone down, and Pike knows all about the Telosians and. Things that happen on Talos for
1: And he also has kind of a kind of a, a squeeze on Talos.
0: Yeah. Are you real? Perhaps they made me out of dreams you've forgotten.
1: I thought, Adam, <laughs> given the degree to which a planet called Talos is part of this show, and the extensive use of ultra wide angle lenses, that it's a shame that they didn't get your ghost lanthimos to direct this one because then you could have called the episode your ghost Lanthimos goes to Talos <laughs> real missed opportunity there Ben just the thought I had you know it comes fresh off of his uh, you know Oscar wins for uh, the favorite yeah I love that movie that was a great movie
0: the uh, The warped mind behind the lobster
1: <laughs> I never saw that should I see it oh you gotta see the lobster Okay. I read the I read the it. description and it just sounded so dumb. Oh no.
0: No. I mean you have to suspend one main bit of disbelief, and I I have faith that you could do that. You were a jazz gummy away from that <laughs> amount of
1: belief suspension. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, all right. Well um Uh, Maybe maybe I'll do that this evening. Um, (laughs) Anyways, we actually do get a captain's log, a captain's personal log in this episode. And uh, it's about how much Pike hopes that Spock and Michael Burnham don't fall into the clutches of the dastardly Section 31. Smash cut to... The dastardly Section 31? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The aftermath of the uh, Michael Burnham-Spock escape where... Uh, Captain Leland has kind of been called on the carpet by a gaggle of multiracial Starfleet admirals. We've got, uh, we've got a Vulcan admiral, we've got a, uh, I think there was a human in the background. He might have been Vulcan. I didn't get a great look at him. But uh, what are the other guys? Andorians and uh, Tuskmen?
0: Yeah, th- yeah. There's a Tuskman there. Yeah. It's, you can tell by the much larger collar needed for the Tuskman. <laughs> this is a uh, this is a setup for a Star Trek joke, isn't it? This this uh, oh, yeah. this Section Thirty One McLaughlin Group.
1: Four four admirals walk into a bar. <laughs> yeah. Um. The yeah. uh the
0: bartender asks why the long tusk. <laughs>
1: why the long antenna? Yeah. So yeah, Leland is uh is has got to eat a plate of shit because the uh, people that he was tasked with uh, finding and apprehending have uh, have escaped off his sh- ship. And uh, this is not a great look for him. They're doing good
0: work with Leland because he is most definitely in the ball-kicking machine. <laughs> but he's not complaining. Like, he is struggling against yeah. it. And I think that's crucial.
1: Yeah, well, they gave him that, that, um, that rolled-up a piece of rawhide to put between his teeth. Trust me,
0: (laughs) Uh, son, this helps.
1: (laughs) Take it from me, Uh, (laughs) Giorgio says to him. Yeah. She comes from a time and place with a a much more advanced ball-kicking technology. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Ball
0: agonizer technology is what she's used to.
1: Uh, they also drop that Burnham is considered to be guilty of yet another act of mutiny in the eyes of the Admiralty, which is a pretty interesting ripple that I didn't really see, I don't see that paying off for at least a few episodes at this point.
0: Are you aware of a Federation-wide three mutinies you're out rule?
1: <laughs> well a lot of A lot of federations passed Those kinds of laws in like the 80s and early 90s Yeah
0: You get a lot of nonviolent mutineers Serving life sentences Ben That's no good
1: And just because somebody like Like somebody can commit mutiny And then serve their debt to society But then their voting rights are taken away That's fucking preposterous Is the punishment the punishment Or is the punishment not the entire punishment I don't know You overlook the unpleasant alternative Of punishment uh, we cut from the
0: further diminishment of Leland to Giorgio's <laughs> FaceTime with Pike and Ash Tyler.
1: I mean, Leland tells tells her to like basically give Discovery something other th- to do than look for Spock because they're sending out the APP to all of the rest of the ships in the Federation. Man, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the conflict between Giorgio and Leland because I feel like it kind of, it's a it's a bit of, like, a whoever wins, we lose. Like, do we want either of them to win
0: this conflict? It's a fascinating question to consider, but there's so much happening in these episodes that don't serve that question as much as, like, why does Leland listen to Giorgio? Who is interested in Georgiou being in the position that she's in, if not Leland. And if Leland was the person who made that call, why doesn't he make another call that's like, you're fired?
1: Yeah, beam her into space. Like, she doesn't belong in this universe anyway.
0: If Leland had hiring control, he has firing control. And why would he allow her to be around if all she does is compromise him?
1: Like, there is an argument to be made that she, like, saved the cat when she gave Michael Burnham an opportunity to kick her ass a little bit and then escape. But then like, you know, this scene where she is giving Pike and Ash Tyler the order to like figure out what happened to that probe and recover the wreckage of the shuttle craft, like she's lying to both of them in that scene also. And it's like, who, who does this benefit? It benefits her. She's up to something. It doesn't seem like
0: it should be possible for Georgiou to be navigating her situation as, as well as she is.
1: Yeah, she she seems like she knows so much.
0: We need to know why why this benefits Leland because it just doesn't.
1: Yeah, like like this has been a terrible deal for Leland from the second he recruited her.
0: <laughs> it's way past fucking time to explain this too.
1: Yeah, I think an episode from, like, in the last, like, three or four kind of got squished in there in a way that has made this uncomfortable. The Mr. Belvedered? Yeah.
0: Episode five.
1: Well, I'm, I'm just saying, like, um, it seems like the order of operations is a little out of whack. Uh, and another example of that is when we catch up with Stamets and Culber, like, this is, like... The thing we have been waiting for since the episode where Culber got got reconstituted out of uh, alien pod, and uh, and it, like I feel like this is like three or four episodes on now that we're finally right. getting to his his experience of returning.
0: It really makes me wonder how they break these episodes individually. Like, are there are they columnating? these episodes in acts and callbacks because it would it would lead me to believe that they're not doing it that way and instead are very focused on A-story shit and then if there's time, what are the things we can carry forward with us? Like, what do we have room in the bag for?
1: Yeah, but they're also, like, getting distracted about which story is the A-story. Yeah. <laughs> you know? My, my senses, my feelings don't connect with it. The feeling I get from Culber is that he is really angry, like and and doesn't even know at what yet. I mean, I ca- I kind of imagine that that is from the feeling of abandonment that he must have experienced living in the mycelial forest for as long as he did. It doesn't seem like he is able to to let that drop. And and uh, this first scene that we see them, we also see him clock Ash Tyler walking down the hallway, and that is. A really insane thing to imagine having to live with, like somebody that, like, actually murdered you. <laughs> you have to, you have to share a ship with.
0: I love that Stamets expresses the incredulity about them being ordered to live on the same deck on the ship. Like, <laughs> yeah. no one else in USS Discovery HR realized <laughs> that that might be a bad idea. Why isn't Ensign Hospitality on this? Yeah, uh, Wilson Cruz as a person, just has naturally kind eyes, I feel like. He has, like, resting, kind face. Yeah. And I mean that as a compliment. And I also mean that as a way to say that when he is angry or upset looking, it is really scary to see him walk around with, like, permanently furrowed anger brow, knowing that there is a jacked person below the black zip-up that he's wearing. Like... Like, hospital-jacked Wilson Cruz is ready to fight.
1: Yeah. This pot might boil over. Yeah. My film studies antenna went up when I saw him in the black garment that he wears this entire episode uh, as being the exact opposite of his white uh, Starfleet medical uniform that we're used to seeing him in. That's
0: a great paper, Ben. <laughs>
1: great paper. <laughs> Turned yeah, in yeah. on time. Uh, solid A-minus. <laughs> Kind of right there on the surface, but uh, but well written and uh, very few grammatical errors. you wrote that eight pager the night before <laughs> couldn't tell the difference. Your bibliography was perfectly formatted <laughs> yeah at the end of the last episode, Michael Burnham and Spock were headed to Talos four and they're on their way there when um, when they uh, come out of warp and it's a it's a black hole and um, Michael Burnham is scrambling to to like pull up and get them out of uh, out of harm's way, and Spock kind of kind of like restrains her in her seat and uh, and shoves the shoves the accelerator back down and points their nose right into the black hole. Uh, but it turns out it was a trick black hole, really at Talos IV. It was all an illusion.
0: Yeah, uh, Spock seems to have come to at. At a useful time, right? <laughs> Spock being catatonic for basically the entire
1: journey. Yeah. He's, uh, he, he pulls it together just enough to get them down to Talos Four.
0: The surface of Talos Four looks a lot like the encampment playset from Harlack, which uh, coincidentally enough was the episode of season one that TJ Scott also directed. That, really? Uh, yeah, when, uh, when Michael Burnham goes and visits that compound there
1: yeah uh I imagine there is like a quarry somewhere outside of Toronto that you can go rent yeah t j scott uh was a stunt man before he was a director and uh i uh I read that after watching the episode, but in talking about it with you, i want to think about like what what scenes that might have informed
0: yeah, I sure would have assumed he had directed the last episode given the number of stunts and fights in that one
1: well uh while Michael Burnham is up uh, kind of getting the lay of the land, a blonde lady shows up in the vicinity of the shuttlecraft and uh, heads in to, uh, to talk to Spock. Michael Burnham uh, holds her up with a phaser. Uh, th- we come to know that this is Vena, and uh, she, she already knows Spock because he previously visited this planet.
0: Yeah, and we kind of already know that a bit from that pre-roll.
1: Right. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, having having it necessary to recast Spock and Vina because almost 100 years have transpired in between now and when that original episode was shot. uh, Like they do have to, like, name check everything in this scene.
0: These original series viewers are dying, Ben, and you continue (laughs) to make fun of them.
1: (laughs) How dare you? The story
0: that Vina tells is that her ship crashed on Talos IV, and then the Talosians put her back together, and then she lets that line just kind of hang in the air a little bit. Yeah. Totally
1: unquestioned by Michael Burnham. Gotcha, gotcha. Now if you're going to build a beautiful young woman named (laughs) Vina...
0: You're going to want to make her breasts a priority. (laughs) Jesus.
1: She's going to wear very high-heeled shoes, despite the rocky environment, because, because this is the 60s, and that's what women wear.
0: We're going for form, and not function. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Spock seems to be familiar with her as well, even though he is half-cat at this point.
1: Yeah. Um... Uh,
0: she relays a message to them from the Telosians and that message is, hey, we want to meet. Why don't you beam below the surface and we can do that and so they do
1: down they beam and uh and the deal that they pitch is basically this like we we can figure out what's going on with spock his brain has has like gone outside of linear time and is, he's now experiencing time as a fluid and he just he is just logically ill-equipped to deal with that
0: the telosians are like we've given him a bunch of orange juice We've rubbed his back.
1: (laughs) I mean, what else is there that we can do? He's just going to have to sleep it off. (laughs) But for the use of this cot, we require a price.
0: We should interrogate this a little bit, right? The idea that in exchange for the repair job, the Talosians want to feel their pain.
1: Yeah. Uh, It is very... Obviously reminiscent of Star Trek V, mm-hmm. the idea of feeling your pain. Spock has a beard just like Cybok. This is all a bunch of flashbacks to Spock and Michael Burnham's childhood, and Cybok does not enter into, into this at all. Do they do, does
0: Cybok not exist suddenly? The Telogians, unlike Cybok though, aren't doing this to benefit you. At no point do they express that that's the reason they're doing it for them. Like the price extracted is to
1: benefit them. <laughs> they're just pain edge lords. Yeah, <laughs> it really seems that way. They're like rubbing their nipples, going, mm, "Show me your pain." Oh,
0: the Vina character does a great job here in really low-keying how you really. I'm a do messy not-
1: bitch, and I love drama, and I want to see your pain. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The Telogians like get under a glass table and they're like
1: <laughs> dump your pain on this. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs>
1: the uh the Telogians are pain freaks. <laughs> yeah, that if you could put your pain on on your feet, oh that would be so hot. <laughs> I
0: really like Vina in this scene and a few others because she makes some pretty thinly veiled comments about how unpleasant it is to resist what the Talosians want. Yeah. And this is one of those scenes where she's like, it would be better for you if you agreed to their terms. And then kind of stares off into the middle distance like, holy shit. Like, (laughs) yeah, I believe her. I believe her deeply. And Melissa George is the person who plays Veena, and I think she's great in this episode at that. It doesn't feel like she gets pages and pages of dialogue, but what she gets is a lot of look acting,
1: and yeah. I think she's great with it. She does a great job. I looked her up on IMDb when I saw how how much she was doing with such a small part. Yeah. I thought uh, she, she really caught my eye. Feels as
0: real as it looks.
1: So the deal back on the Discovery is that they're supposed to be, like, getting to the bottom of what happened to the shuttle that Pike flew into the time butthole. And uh, Ash Tyler, like, saunters onto the bridge and is like, how are we doing with the shuttle shuttle investigation? But over here's some... Uh, some work being done on the uh, on trying to get to the bottom of Spock and Michael Burnham's location. And he's like, hey, Pike, what gives, dude? Like, what, what the hell do you even think you're doing?
0: I love how grounded this scene and this moment is in common sense, right? Like, yeah. the Discovery is a science ship. It is best equipped to do uh, recovery of something like a... Exploded shuttle pod. It's probably less suited to a search and rescue mission that they want to do. But Pike, at many points in this episode, makes the case that they can do these two concurrently. Like they're a fully
1: complemented ship. They can do both. Ash, we have like hundreds of people aboard. Like we don't need all of them to be scraping through this shipwreckage. Right. Especially given the fact that we haven't been able to find a single piece of the probe.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a creep show, right?
1: Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Thinking about that probe, something just hit me. It was so much bigger when it came back through the time butthole, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's not something that got fired, like, at that scale, not something that realistically got fired from the shuttle. I don't know if we saw it before. Hmm. Weird.
0: Yeah. Hard to grok the scale of things. Because something, so much of it is, has to do with the perspective forced on the viewer by by these compositions, right?
1: Right, yeah, the computer graphics. But, like, we saw the thing with its tentacles grabbing the shuttle, and we get to see the instant replay of that in this episode on Tilly's screen when she's showing Tyler what she's working on, and it's big. It's very big compared to the shuttle.
0: I like that they dialed back Tilly a little bit in this episode. She's a little less quippy, but she's more physically comedic. Yeah. Like with her looking around her screen and her description of her office. Like, I think that I like her this way better than yeah. as as simile school teacher, you know?
1: Yeah. And the fact that she's not just calling attention to herself, like she's actually doing a bunch of work in this episode.
0: I mean, when you really think about it. Most members of this ship's senior staff have been through something crazy traumatic Yeah And have returned to duty more or less unscathed outside of Culber Right I mean, Tilly maybe being one of the primary examples of this
1: Yeah, she was covered in goo
0: Yeah, and rebuilt from her own DNA Was she? Yeah, they used her own DNA in the
1: cocoon to rebuild her I think they used Culber's DNA well, that would be weird. I don't know. I think that they're a little vague on that subject. One thing that they're not vague on in this episode is what happened to Ash Tyler, maybe for the first time. Yeah. Because uh, you know, like Stamets and Culber have like a bad a bad couples date in their uh in their apartment where Stamets is trying to like make the case for like maybe going on some vacation together, maybe uh you know, trying to trying to spend some time reconnecting. Uh, and Culber basically has, like, a full-blown freak out on him where he, like, knocks a bunch of b- bread rolls off a tray and uh, calls Stamets on what he's doing, which is just kind of like... I've
0: got to correct you there, Ben. Uh, there's no fucking way Culber's eating carbs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's pretty shredded. I think we know. I didn't say he ate them. I said he knocked them off a tray. That's why he's so insulted. Maybe he was just going to do that anyways. You don't know me, Stamets. <laughs> I don't eat this crap. Look at these arms. <laughs> you look to fight the sniffles or match your pump. I get the sense that like his senses and his body feel very disconnected from his memories. Like he doesn't have feelings of nostalgia for things in his past. And uh, he basic and that and that includes his love for uh, Paul Stamets. This is such a great
0: conflict because it pays off what we have seen from the start. Like, no one has listened to Culber. He has said this the entire time. And it finally, like, reaches the point of explosion with Stamets. And it's unfortunate because we love Stamets and we don't want to see him hurt. But Stamets is the greatest defender of this. Yeah. He hasn't been listening to Culber.
1: He has made the return of his husband all about him.
0: Right. And I'm with Colbert in this argument. Like fucking listen or get out. But uh Colbert flips over a tray and then basically heads straight to the mess hall spoiling for a fight. And fight he
1: gets. Uh he uh, he kicks over <laughs> Ash Tyler's table. Actually uh, like knocking some piece of it off so you can see the plywood that they made the table out of <laughs> and uh and they just have like a full-blown like remade human fight in the dining hall
0: i love that culber is doing this to like awaken voke you know ash apologizes and ash says that wasn't me that was the the white klingon within and culber's like Wake him up. It's a real, like, trying to beat up Bruce Banner to turn him into the Hulk situation. Yeah. I loved it. I love this. Yeah. The internal logic of this fight is, it like, it hangs together perfectly.
1: And I also really liked learning, like, one way that it doesn't work in terms of what makes Ash Tyler Voke and Voke Ash Tyler, but not, like, it's not the, he's not the Hulk, you know? He can't, he's not gonna Voke out. Right. If if he gets angry, that's not that's not the mechanism. So,
0: yeah. Like I like that. That's a mistaken sub- presupposition by Culber. Like it's it's yeah. such a logical leap for him to make, and that it was wrong is also like a great payoff to his inclination here.
1: And the payoff of the fight is basically them kind of realizing that they have a lot in common as people who aren't exactly who they think of themselves as
0: yeah it's a great end to the scene it makes me wonder if their similarities are going to lead to a greater understanding or appreciation between them yeah because i could see stamets being a little miffed at at that starting to take
1: bloom right right yeah the one thing that is crazy about this scene it does not go uncommented on which is that saru is like let him fight it out guys (laughs) like they gotta get this out of their systems and then the next scene is uh is pike chewing saru out for this hardly an example of by the book conflict resolution and saru's like whoa yeah show me in the uh rule book where it says i have to intervene if a human with klingons grafted to his bones gets in a fight with a with a zombie like (laughs) which is which is like a nice argument if you're persuaded by sophistry uh but you know not actually smart a smart way to run a crew if you're the first officer
0: yeah that's the point that pike makes this scene also makes a greater point that every single senior staff member has a fucked up backstory and i kind of i kind of don't like that
1: yeah, well, I mean, in, on TNG, almost everyone was an orphan in one way or another, so...
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true, but, like, God, from Pike and his weird past with Talos to Saru and his loss of Ganglia to Ash and his folk within, like, all the way down, everyone everyone hasn't just been through some shit, they've almost been
1: someone else. Interesting that that's what the uh, theme would be for, for this era yeah like we kind of can't escape who we once were now like people people who made like one shitty comment on on twitter in 2007 like suddenly you know suddenly that becoming a issue in their political career or whatever uh
0: or these characters being something else in another television series right Hold on—the uh, eighth page of your uh, film studies paper is just printing out now, Ben. So. <laughs> wow, you got a—you got two in this episode. Nice.
1: Yeah, it's cool that you have that dot matrix printer to, yeah. to, to print that out with. Yeah. Um, you know, which is not to say I'm not trying to say that like people who said shitty stuff on Twitter should get a pass or whatever, but um, just that like the idea of identities that haunt you is right. a very um a very ocurrent idea i think yeah um
0: a very like modern television trope
1: yeah in this elevator scene with pike and saru saru says that thing about a human with klingon with a klingon grafted onto his bones and i i was like could we have just gotten that phrase in fucking season 1 <laughs> Like why did it take so long to get a non vague description of what happened?
0: I mean if you start a stopwatch with the beginning <laughs> of that statement and then stop it at the end, I mean what are we talking about? Four seconds?
1: Yeah. Could put have been it in done. anywhere. Yeah. You, in fact, we could probably take that audio and like put it in while Saru is facing away from the camera in some episode of season one and just have that in there.
0: You know what would make a great nickname for Ash Tyler, Ben? <laughs> bones
1: Laurel <laughs> dumped me all, all I got in the divorce was my bones
0: yeah <laughs> this is a great hair episode for Ash Tyler by the way
1: oh yeah God. So, so lank and wet what's the longest you've ever grown your hair not even close to this long
0: really in yeah. junior high there was a time where my where I definitely had like skater Parted hair that went down like to to the hole in my ears, like wow, like hung that low. But I couldn't quite make it totally to the Michael Landon phase where it started to feather back out again. <laughs> in many ways, like I quit at its most ugly.
1: <laughs> I should I should have just seen it through. That's pretty much what I've done every time I've tried to grow a mustache or a beard. So. And that's what
0: I'm saying. It's my beard growing problem. I get two weeks in and and I just give up. I can't deal with it. Or I'm yeah. forced to give up, let's be honest.
1: There's something uh, that you have to power through that it's yeah. either uncomfortable or terrible looking. To yeah. so get either thing, you know? Yeah. So on Talos Four, we get two different scenes from Spock's memory that the Talosians show Michael. They're like psionically linking the two of them together so that she can see two things. And one of the things is the apparition of the Red Angel to uh, Spock as a boy. And this is amidst the episode where Michael Burnham ran away from home. And uh, the Red Angel showed Spock a vision of Michael Burnham getting devoured by a giant terrifying monster in the forest. I have got big, big problems
0: with the logical underpinnings of the inhabitants of Vulcan. If they allow this forest creature to live like right in the in the green belt that's connected to their backyard
1: <laughs> what are they doing i mean there's bears and wolves and stuff on earth this is a wolf
0: the size of a building this is not right they need to hunt these things
1: maybe they're maybe this apex predator is critical to falcon ecology and like the whole ecosystem would collapse if they hun- hunted these guys to extinction you don't know <laughs>
0: I don't understand this. <laughs> the red angel's like, hey, you don't want this to happen, do you? And so young Spock warns his parents.
1: So then years later, he gets the vision that these uh, squid probe devices that uh, that we have met already are part of some, some plan to destroy all sentient life in the galaxy. So we get to watch as a bunch of... Uh, of probes like slam into planets and explode them.
0: It's looking pretty bad for life in the galaxy.
1: Right, and uh, it is it is sold as this is one possible future.
0: Spock tries to meld with it.
1: Yeah, Spock. Uh, Spock puts his uh, his my mind to your mind up to the uh, the helmet of the Red Angel, and um, I, I guess it didn't work because it's got like shielding but but it could like I'll admit some thoughts through the, the helmet. Is that how you understood that? I thought it was pretty interesting
0: how you saw Michael in that scene. Right. And the way it was edited was presented in such a way that you weren't exactly sure if the Talosians were putting Michael in the in place of Spock in the scene or if they put her in the place of the Red Angel.
1: Yeah, it kind of, it's a little bit vague. Yeah. And I think intentionally so. Yep. The other vision that she gets to see is Spock breaking out of his mental health care facility.
0: He got this whole escape thing worked out and he just got so excited.
1: In the padded wall room, he has been writing equations and notes about the uh, the vision he's had. And he he actually interacts with Michael Burnham in this... In this scene, and she's like, listen, I'm like really worried about the fact that you've been accused of murdering these people. And he really takes that personally. He's like, did you see me murder somebody? You're in my head. You know I'm innocent.
0: Ben, if I'm going to write a a film studies paper about this episode, mine is going to... Oh, you too? Mine's going to be about the similarities between Culber and Spock and how their closest friends and family don't believe them. Because the... (sighs) umbrage that Spock takes with his sister in this scene feels a lot like Culber's early on. I
1: I read it a little differently. I read it as she does believe him, but she is speaking for, like, people believe you did a murder. And he is reacting to her, even, like, suggesting that that would be the case. You know? Well, that
0: makes my paper the B-minus paper it is, and yours the... (laughs) A paper.
1: Yes, in your face.
0: The doctor comes into this scene, and she's like, uh, all of these etchings into your floor have turned out to be premonitions, so I'm going to change my diagnosis. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> and uh, and Spock, after hearing this, is like, I'm going to change the, the uh, amount I want to remain in your psychiatric facility. <laughs> and quickly... Neck pinches them like the the fastest neck pinches we've yeah. maybe ever seen in Star Trek.
1: This is a a scene I've been eager to see since uh, since we saw the trailers for this for this show because they have shown Spock kicking butt a couple of times and uh, I was I was glad to finally see it. Yeah, you probably piss your pants when you've been
0: neck pinched, right? <laughs> I think I am almost positive that's what happens.
1: Yeah. I mean, some actors choose to brando when they have to depict uh, being neck-pinched, and, and that's sort of a lesser form of brandoing. Have
0: you ever been KO'd? Have we talked about this on the show?
1: Uh, I have passed out, but I've never been knocked out.
0: When you passed out, did you piss yourself?
1: No, thank goodness. Uh, I was in my, uh, my mom's godmother's house. <laughs> that would have been terrible. Were you self defense passing out from uh,
0: from like a family dinner or something?
1: <laughs> no, I was like we were there visiting, and uh, I was I I remember I was uh, upstairs on a bed reading a book, and they like called me down to dinner, and I got up from the bed, and I was just I think I was like my heartbeat had slowed so much because I was very relaxed in this bed reading this book, and that when I stood up I, I just like didn't have enough blood in my head and I just I just woke up on the floor. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. I mean, I had like slightly, I had kind of like low average blood pressure when I was a kid, so. Don't worry, it's high average now. <laughs> it's
0: the only thing that registers as high in, in any sort of clinical test of you, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything else very low. Yeah, uh, low T. Ooh, <laughs> very low T. <tea. laughs>
0: Lowercase T. <laughs> <laughs> After the conversation that Pike and Saru have to post-game the fight, Vina visits Pike in his ready room, and he is destroyed by her. Like her presence. Like this is yeah. a this is a great great moment of acting for Anson mount i think uh who has for all of his cocksuredness and you know like southwestern cowboy mentality he is <laughs> like he reads as damaged immediately when she appears this is real as real as it needs to be
1: he misses her yeah uh and not having i mean i think uh we will we will very likely be visiting the episodes of TOS that uh that this references at some point in the future on this show. But um I think uh even without having seen any of that stuff, like the the pathos that he brings to the to this scene is very um very evocative, and, and I
0: love having not seen those episodes. like I don't regret it. I think this is yeah. I think that's what makes the scene better than what it would be.
1: well, it's like that you know i I love like the the thought experiment of this like not showing the the earlier episodes' Cause, like it's something that I really admire about like Blade Runner and star wars and and like s- some other um science fiction things where like the movie starts and the entire universe, like they've spent so much time imagining what this world is going to look and feel like that. It just feels real, you know, like, uh, and, and Blade Runner is like the, the quintessential example of this. It is just like so fucking insanely atmospheric. And like every character seems to have, you know, like all the, all the like people that work at the police station that Deckard has, has history with, but it, it's, it's just something that comes out in their performance and in a couple of the lines, you know? It's not like we got like a last time on Blade Runner when that movie started.
0: There's a demonstration of grief that Pike puts on display here that is as acute as the grief that Michael Burnham and Spock show for each other that is, uh, that is almost equivalent to what Stamets and Culber are going through. The idea that Pike is... Happy and surprised to see her and yet grieves not being with her and yet is also grateful that she is living out her life with a version of him. Like this all happens with such expediency. Yeah. This is a really well done scene.
1: Alright, I'm gonna move my I'm gonna move my paper up up to <laughs> A A, maybe even A plus with this one. Okay. M- maybe. With all these uh, painful memories and, and uh, past past identities that people are having such a hard time escaping, pretty apt that the title of the episode is "If Memory Serves." Mm. Hmm. <laughs> uh, Boy, <laughs> if memory serves, why can't I get a refill of my coffee? <laughs> <laughs> so Vina connects Pike in a uh, the second double room meetup of the season puts uh, Pike in connection with Michael Burnham and Spock and the Talosians. Uh Michael Burnham has some great news Spock did not do any murders um, <laughs> so that's pretty cool uh, the bad news is I had to break out of section 31 with Spock because Leland was going to use some, uh, some clip show devices on him and uh, you know how much everybody hates clip shows So, really glad we avoided that
0: where are the bodies? If he didn't kill those three people, like where are they?
1: Yeah. Did Hard Section to...
0: thirty one disappear them?
1: Did Section thirty one go down there and kill them and then go, Spock killed these guys? Like is it a frame job? But like but like what the way Michael Burnham says it is there weren't any murders in the first place. Right. Yeah. So so that makes me think not. Although I guess she wouldn't be privy to anything that happened after spock left at this point
0: michael has a ton of exposition to get out in this scene as you said spock's innocent section 31 tried to clip show him also we need you to drive disco here right now because the red angel has a plan for us and spock's like yeah no time to tell you what that plan is but there is one
1: take it on faith he says didn't think he that those words would ever fly out of his mouth
0: right uh, and so the fastest way to get from point A to point B is a spore jump, Ben. And so uh, the disco readies itself for that.
1: Yes. Uh, and this is uh, something that happens right on the heels of Dr. Culber essentially dumping Stamets. Like, Stamets has just gotten dumped and, and uh, the black alert thing chimes through the ship.
0: Uh I'm going to go ahead and and put this in the correct prediction column for Adam. Oh yeah. I think I saw this one coming.
1: Yeah. I mean it's uh it's felt like it's been coming. Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. Very sad. Do you want to make another prediction about whether or not they patch it up by the end of the season?
0: Oh yeah, I'm going to say no. Wow. I, I think this is a permanent thing
1: more or less. I'll take the I'll take the bet. Okay. So, do you want to say like by the end of this season, you're saying they definitely don't patch it up, and I'm saying they definitely do, or right. are on their way, or like, you know, definitively looking like they're on their way
0: to. Yeah, that. I mean, the bet is on definition. Anything squishy would just be a, a draw.
1: Right. Okay. So, uh, what are the stakes? what uh, What do you get if uh, if if you're right?
0: Look, if if. <laughs> Past episodes of, se- of season two are any indication. We are not going to know the payoff of this m- until many, many episodes from now.
1: How about this? Whoever's wrong has to do a power hour on a future episode of The Greatest Discovery.
0: Fine. <laughs>
1: Fine. Fine. Okay. Hold us to it, listeners. We'll probably forget we said all this.
0: <laughs> Before we leave this scene behind, I just wanted to talk briefly about uh, its emotional gravity. This felt like something that was written from personal experience. And I think you and I have been here before, like breakups can take many forms. And I think a form of breakup that is familiar to me, and this can come from either direction, is like there's an impulse to bargain in that moment that you see Stamets try to do here. Like, he tries to pump the brakes on the finality of this in a way that is tragic and familiar to, I think, a lot of people who have been either broken up with or who have broken up with someone. And it grounds this moment in not a science fiction future, but in a contemporary, this is what breakups feel like kind of way. And I think that is what makes me feel something when I see it. I thought this was well acted and well written.
1: We get to see the entire Kubler-Ross model of breaking up.
0: Yeah yeah
1: the spore drive uh no work seems to be that uh somebody threw some uh, some wooden shoes into the spore drive they can tell that at least um <laughs> ash tyler like comes onto the bridge and goes like why why are we going to black alert and he gets the download on what they're what they're about to do i I wondered in this moment, like Ash Tyler walks onto the bridge and asks for an update a lot. What is he doing when he's not on the bridge?
0: It would seem as though he i mean if Leland's his boss, he doesn't have to directly report to him hour by hour
1: yeah i guess uh I guess he has a lot of free time. Maybe he's catching up on his reading hmm. so it is in this moment that uh the hammer drops on Ash Tyler because. Uh, Saru and the, uh, security lady that Pike brought with him have built a case that Ash Tyler, uh, sent a bunch of illicit transmissions from the ship and may, in fact, have, uh, sabotaged the, the spore drive. And so he gets escorted off the bridge and then the camera pans down to Arium's feet and she only has one of her two wooden shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> You're
0: talking about her sabo.
1: Yeah, she's usually wearing some sabo, right. but, uh, but she only has one of them today. Mm. And nobody's like, Arium, where's your other sabo? <laughs> Couldn't help but notice you're walking with a limp.
0: <laughs> yeah, Ash is a great mark in this scene.
1: Yeah, he seems so guilty. Yeah. In fact, if somebody else hadn't done it, he probably would have done it.
0: Right. That's what makes this feel so real. <laughs> Uh and so Pike orders him taken to the break and uh and pulls his badge right off of him cuz he's smart cuz his badge is also a communicator yeah Pike also wonders if Ash has been subjected to a clip show device. So there's like a fair amount of humanity shown to him. Like, look, man, you could have done this intentionally, but maybe it's not your fault. And that's okay, too. We're just going to put you in the
1: brig. A surprising amount of arrogant denial from Ash when that's suggested. He's like, no, 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 that's the old me. It's like, dude, if... If you were able to kill Culber before, you should know that this is like a distinct possibility in this world.
0: Yeah, he's got to believe this on some level, but he does not betray that to the rest of the bridge crew.
1: Uh, I just want to correct you so that we don't get emails. He was confined to his quarters, not taken to the brig.
0: Thanks. My paper is now a C. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Looks like uh, you're not going to be making Dean's List this semester, Adam. (laughs)
0: So they gotta slum it, Ben. They gotta take the disco at regular ass warp. Gross. To Starbase Eleven, and then the plan is like halfway through to uh, hang a right and head to
1: Talos. I pictured it as a right as well. It's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know why that would be, but uh, but yeah. So they uh, they head to Talos, and uh, and Section Thirty One is actually like hot on their on their heels, so it's a bit of a race. Um. Michael Burnham and Spock, who is now much better, uh, are going to leave the planet. But first, the Talosians need to uh, need to square up with Michael Burnham. They uh, they're not going to let her leave without giving them what they are due, which is this painful memory. And so, um, they wheel out the giant glass coffee table.
0: <laughs> they roll up underneath it.
1: Like, oh, they changed out of their robes and now they're in like weird latex gear. They give Michael Burnham like kind of a lot of Gatorade. (laughs) I mean, it's a it's kind of pointless to put a ball gag on a Talosian because they can speak to you with just their mind. Right. right?
0: What they need is a mental ball gag.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What's your mental safe word? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but the memory that she shares is of the, the thing that uh, we've been dying to learn about, which is the, the life event that drove the wedge between Michael Burnham and Spock. And um, I was a little surprised by this. It doesn't uh, seem like something that they couldn't get past with just a couple of conversations about it. Um,
0: oh, Ben, that is spoken like an only child.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry to have to lay that on you, but yeah, man. Like I I could feel this. Really? I've had uh, I've had arguments with my brother that go this direction. I've I've been estranged from family members before. This this felt real. Like when you know exactly the button to push on someone, and here's the thing, like here's what makes this scene work is that all we've saw all we've seen from young Spock up until now was his distrust of his sister, his adopted sister. And what we get in this episode is is that he has turned the corner and that he loves her. Yeah. Like, this is enti- an entire episode that, that shows up until now the love that young Spock had for young Michael Burnham. And right. the way that she decides to betray that, knowing how difficult it was for him to go there with her, I think...
1: Right, but it, she's betraying it, that love to protect him. Yeah, but the thing that the thing that I did not understand the first time I watched this episode was after having experienced that memory, why Spock couldn't see that she was doing something that was hard for her and that hurt him in order to protect him. And then on the rewatch I realized like Spock is not watching this memory. This is just between Michael Burnham and the Talosians.
0: Well, Ben, uh, you might be seeing my film studies paper uh, print out on your end. Uh, Oh, yeah, it's
1: just coming through now on the teletype.
0: Because that new one is about how the currency between family members is emotional and not logical, and that there was no way for him to grasp this in a logical fashion, because that's not how families work, and that's not the currency that family members exchange with each other.
1: Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, if they had let him in on this and seen this all from her perspective she would have realized that it was not that it was like a bad decision but it was done out of love and it was done for the right reasons just in the wrong way this is something that
0: she expresses at the very end of the episode like she gets those words out
1: yeah and then uh, we get a little uh, little standoff in orbit as the uh, ship that leland captains and the discovery i wish we knew the name of that ship
0: it's the u s s Leland
1: is it really <laughs> that's what I'm calling it <laughs> fucking egotistical bastard Georgeorgio's gonna sneak out in the middle of the night and paint her name over that, but uh, but we get a little standoff between them, uh and they both want to be the ones that beam up Spock and Michael Burnham. no discussion of uh of the shuttle being recovered. <laughs> in this situation. I guess I guess Pike is just trying to grab him and get out of there, but uh but it's like it's a standoff. They've both got transporter lock and if they both try to engage it, they'll just fly apart at the molecular level. So Pike actually gets a a an, a, a final Vena visit uh where she kind of convinces him to to let it go. And this like theme of like you're going to have to trust Michael Burnham, something that Ash Tyler even makes the case for you're going to have to trust spock something that spock makes the case for and now vina is making the case for like he he relents and and just lets it go she could have told him like oh they're going to sneak up in the shuttle after section 31 bounces don't worry about it <laughs> instead she says let your friends go <laughs> uh, awkward <laughs> she she also loves drama yeah like but like aristotelian drama
0: she loves drama like TNT
1: yeah the Section 31 ship thinks that they've got them. They uh, they bug out, and uh, Michael Burnham and Spock return to the Discovery on the shuttlecraft. Uh, they have all really pissed off Starfleet now. Like Leland leaves and says, like, go report to Starbase 11 for your court martials, everybody. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the fact that uh, also Michael Burnham and Spock are now aboard the Discovery, like, Pike feels the need to, like, do that captain speech of, uh, like, we are now completely uh, completely working against the wishes of Starfleet. Anybody that wishes to, uh, like, leave the bridge, uh, you know, it'll be in the captain's log that you actually followed orders, unlike the rest of us.
0: I fucking love that Detmer cuts Pike off at the beginning of that speech. Like, yeah. Of course heading, sir. It does feel
1: like we should get moving
0: that's a show starting to become self-aware about its preachiness right I think it's yeah. great fun I like that it was Detmer too it was cool yeah can I interest you in a fugitive ship story because that is what we appear to be getting
1: it is so wild like you get this moment where the ship kind of pulls out of or- orbit and warps off like classic like Tng end of end of show Mm -hmm. like we started with a captain's log we ended with the ship warping out of the system yeah and it looks like it is setting up like that you you use that moment to imagine what the future of the show is and its discovery is on the run from starfleet the entire time and then we get a vasectomy that shows something quite the opposite But maybe we'll save that for that segment of the show. Do you want to talk about whether you liked this episode?
0: Yeah, we do have a format,
1: Ben. Yeah, I don't want to break it.
0: This is the first episode that I have liked in, I think, the last three, that I liked wholeheartedly, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. This feels like the first time in quite a while that like, the crew's previous actions have actually created consequences for them that they're dealing with right now. No longer are they just setting off time bombs in the orbit above Kaminar <laughs> and then, like, leaving the planet to to deal with it. <laughs> like, the shit that Michael Burnham and Spock did as kids are coming back to haunt them. The stuff that Pike did on Talos Four is coming back to haunt him. Like, yeah. shit is coming home to roost. The stuff between Stamets and Culber, it's all coming back. And I wish that this show sprinkled this a little more evenly over this over the season. Yeah. Like that's what's unfortunate to me is that is that this was possible.
1: The show could get to all of these things and spent the last three episodes kind of fumble fucking around not getting to them.
0: Right. But man, strong episode and I think maybe if not the Best episode of season two to me, in my mind. What about you, Ben?
1: Yeah, I really liked it too. I um, I had fun watching it, and that like realization uh, toward the end that Spock wasn't actually privy to the the painful memory that Michael Burnham shares with the Talosians uh, was really cool to to like come across that thought the second time through. Right, because because you get the kind of rules of of these like shared memories at the beginning of the episode and the fact that uh, the rules change at the end being something that's non-obvious and something that's kind of there for you to notice feels really like strong and confident writing. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fun app. It's a fun app that makes like weird, interesting strong choices that are not the weird, interesting, strong choices that, Disco has made previously And I really like it Me too Adam you want to see if we have any priority one messages In the inbox Oh we gotta do that Yeah Priority one message from Starfleet Coming in on secured channel Adam we have a couple of priority one messages Today the first is from David and it's to Camille Goes like this Happy birthday it's been an amazing 15 years of marriage Wow I've loved every minute with you. And every time we've watched all the Star Trek series, minus that weird cartoon from the 70s. I can't wait for the next 15 more years together. We're like Rashawn and Kevin Uxbridge, Kes, Neelix, Tasha Yar and Data, pull and Trip, Isolaneer, Chips, and Jim Shimoda?
0: <laughs> I don't know who those other people are. <laughs>
1: That's weird, Kevin, because you're all powerful, and yet you don't, like... You don't seem to have a curious imagination. You're not, like, looking into things and trying to get to know the world around you.
0: I don't have eyes for other women. I'm <laughs> totally focused on my wife, Roshan.
1: All right. Well, I mean, that's fair. She's, uh, she's a, a lovely lady and makes a hell of a cup of tea, so I can imagine you feel totally satisfied. You can go ahead and window shop. That's up to you. Let me just pitch something to you, though, Kevin, because <laughs> this is not, technically not the original Rashan and like don't you think that uh, the lady you loved would want you to be happy would want you to move on you know like vengeance and then like trying to recreate something from the past for yourself just doesn't seem like a healthy way of coping with grief
0: what is this freaking therapy <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I'm kind of doctor filling you Kevin <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow 15 years man. that's awesome I, yeah. uh, I just had my 5 year anniversary and uh, wow, 15 is a great achievement So good job, yeah. by, good job by them
1: Yeah, good job Camille and David And uh, happy
0: birthday Camille Ben, our second Priority One message Is from Stupid Shark It is for <laughs> Empress Mo The message goes like this Happy birthday to my fellow viewer and sister Wow Message continues Thanks for being so cool Finding all drunk Shimotas in life Including my wedding and having the weirdest memories together, let's keep singing Stinky Diaper, Commander Riker, <laughs> and wondering about the TOS Thrupple. Here's to a great next year.
1: Wow. Uh, happy birthday, Empress Moe.
0: Yeah. Happy day, Empress Moe. Well done. Couple
1: of birthdays. This they is They make great. up
0: songs just like you, Ben.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, you, you've made up a song or two.
0: I mean, you're, you're the true songsman. Of oh. Shimoda Come on
1: I don't know about that I I feel like we share that distinction But uh, I can only I can only aspire to coming up with gold-like stinky diaper Commander Riker <laughs> Hey, I'm really grateful for two Priority One messages on
0: this episode of Greatest Discovery
1: Yeah, if you'd like to send a Priority One message Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron It is $100 for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message And we really appreciate it
0: What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do. When your junk looks like a log of play-doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place. And it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the Spring Cleaning Champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires they also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt which I will never wear but it was nice of them to do get 20% off and free shipping with the code trek at manscaped.com that's 20% off and free shipping with the code trek at manscaped.com nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants
1: I spent a lot of last week sick in bed And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat, but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was factor meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, Smoothies, grab and go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek fifty and use code trek fifty to get fifty percent off. That's code trek fifty at factormeals.com slash trek fifty to get fifty percent off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
0: Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st.
1: Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh,
0: nothing. We're all set for Max FunDrive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to
1: see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
0: Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible
1: drunk Shimoda. It did um they uh they first show up at Talos four and it looks to be a black hole that is going to destroy their shuttle and Michael Burnham goes through all of the emotions that one would expect to go through when they are certain they're going to die and then when the illusion dissipates and it becomes clear that uh, they're not going to die she she, uh, she kind of like exposition's what just happened to them and and then says, "Like, boy, we're really on the other side of the looking glass now." And the camera cuts to Spock, who who rolls his eyes as if to say, "Christ, not another fucking Alice in Wonderland reference, Jesus, again." I love that, <laughs> and it really it really made me laugh. I thought uh, I thought it was like maybe a bit of directing that was like, I think that this could both serve story purpose, but also make a little bit of fun of all of the Alice in Wonderland stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that's my drunk Shimoda. Spock, how about yourself? I love that the show
0: is beginning to roll its eyes at itself. And my Shimoda is going to go to giorgio for a scene that resembles that remark. Uh, when Leland beams up, What he thinks to be Burnham and Spock, and like gets all cocksure about the interrogation to come. He's like, he's like, I'll do the talking. They cut to a close up of Emperor Georgio, and the take that Michelle Yeoh gives in this moment has like three steps to it. (laughs) (laughs) What she does with her eyes to register her (laughs) her incredulity about this is great. Like, uh, it has to be re-seen to be really appreciated, but I think she's doing a ton of great subtle work. Like, for someone who sort of has the rep of, like, Hong Kong action hero, she does a lot when she's not fighting, and her acting should be appreciated for the moments when she's not. She is really great in the show.
1: Yeah. She is the best. We're lucky to have her. Yeah. Even if her character isn't that (laughs) well-written. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? So, uh, as I said before, like, you kind of leave the meat of this episode expecting that they're going to be, like, running as far away and as fast as they can from Section 31. The uh, The vasectomy we are shown, however is of them showing up at Section 31 headquarters and getting in a big space fight with blade mines and then uh, Arium kicking everybody's butt on some kind of away mission.
0: Yeah. Arium, uh, not an away team veteran at this point, I would say.
1: No. First timer, maybe.
0: Yeah. That's not going to turn out great.
1: Yeah. She's kicking everybody's butt.
0: I wonder if these mines aren't set to defend against people coming to Section 31 headquarters and are instead uh, the threat to Section 31 headquarters. Wow. That's what I think. That's my prediction.
1: They do have the same uh, color signifiers as the squid that attacked the shuttle, so maybe you're right.
0: They got to save Admiral Bob, though. It sure seems like that's uh, where she is, right? Got to save Bob. Have any predictions for the episodes ahead, Ben?
1: No, I've been too wrong too much of the time and I'm I'm staring down the barrel of a power hour now so oh <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hold my predictions fair enough well let's
0: give the episode to Rob then
1: yeah take it away Rob oh uh, before we do though uh, we should say next week is the beginning of the max fun drive so if you like the greatest discovery and uh, want to see it go forward uh, the the Max Fun drive is the best time of year to become a monthly member, and uh, we'd really appreciate a lot of our new listeners uh choosing to do that so uh starting March eighteenth i believe
0: yeah that's the that's the best time to support the shows you love on the Max Fund network, and uh, we sure hope you love the greatest discovery because Ben and I love making it
1: yeah, so uh. So get ready for that. Uh, we're really looking forward to it, and we really appreciate everybody that supports already. Okay, take it away, Rob. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun Podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison, and it's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Head on over to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing
0: production of our show. And a nice free way to support the show is to head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find Ben on Twitter at
1: BenjaminAHR. Adam is at CutForTime. And I'm at Rob K. Schulte. All right, thanks. We'll see you next time.